Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to New Hope Fellowship Uptown Campus. Just so great to be able to worship with you guys again this morning. Uh, thank you, everybody who's been leading us into worship. Uh, our sister Abby, our children's ministry director, the way that you have been serving so faithfully our children, seeing them grow, um, and also just trying to implement more intergenerational worship. Um, we are a church that isn't just made up of adults. There are children and uh, we've baptized them. We've made a covenant oath to disciple them in the truth of the gospel. So let's continue to pray for them and be mindful of them, especially during our Sunday worship services. Uh, thank you, Terry, for leading us into praise again, and Karis for praying on behalf of our congregation, and especially with sensitivity to those who are struggling. And, you know, as I mentioned last week, um, and even just throughout, um, especially in this sermon series, yes, it is about the unstoppable work of the Holy Spirit. We want to celebrate that. We want to be confident in that. We want to place all of our hope in Him and what He is doing. But at the same time, as I mentioned, whenever the Spirit is moving, uh, there is always opposition and conflicts that inevitably arise. And we see that especially in the book of Acts. You probably can recall even in your own personal life where you've experienced seasons of growth, seasons of momentum, seasons of excitement, only to find that just around the corner, there is some type of opposition, conflict, distraction, and sometimes we're able to overcome that, and we recognize that the Spirit is actually sovereign even over that. And sometimes, if we're honest, we allow those things to sidetrack us. And that's exactly what we see here in today's passage and I think it's very relevant for many of us, and especially as Uptown community, yes, we've been just so thankful and we've been expressing our gratitude towards one another and especially to God that His work is unstoppable. His Holy Spirit is indeed unstoppable, but at the same time, whenever there's a movement, there are inevitably oppositions and conflicts, and I think many of us are experiencing that now. And uh, this sermon is just to remind us that we desperately need the Holy Spirit and we shouldn't be surprised with these different types of conflicts. Instead, it should make us that much more dependent on what the Spirit can do through us. So before we dig in any further, let me pray for us one more time and then we'll begin. Uh, Father, I just want to echo the prayers and the songs um, that have already been uttered. We are just so thankful that you are a God who created us. Uh, we are just so thankful for even the gift of our life. And not only have you created us, but you actually created us in your image. We're just so thankful for all the blessings, all the gifts that you have given to us that we take for granted. And uh, your generosity, we confess to you, sometimes make us neglect your holiness and even as you reminded us last week, you are a God who is in our midst and it should cause fear in our hearts. It should cause reverence. The fact that a God who is so holy and so majestic, so powerful, and a God who is so pure that he hates and cannot tolerate sin is willing to interact with us in such intimate ways. Yes, we should be thankful, but at the same time, may it also cause us much fear, much pause, much reverence. And that in those moments, may you shift our attention to what your son Jesus Christ has done, who embodies perfectly not only your intimate, merciful, gracious love, but your zeal, your holiness, your majesty, your disdain for sin through his death and his resurrection. We thank you so much that it's only by his blood that we would even have the audacity to draw into your presence 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister to various people, even at this moment. All of us, we carry so much baggage, whether it's our internal anxieties or whether it's external pressures that are really suffocating us. We need you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us that difficulties, sufferings, conflicts are things that should not surprise us. These are things that are consequences of our own sin, of this fallen world that we live in. But we thank you that you have nonetheless given us a hope that can overcome these things because we are now united in your Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us his power, his patience, his fortitude to be able to respond to these difficulties in love and worship and gratitude towards you. Holy Spirit, please have your way in us. We thank you and we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Like I mentioned, uh, today's passage, we're going to continue on the very next chapter, uh, Acts chapter 6, and we see that conflict ensues. And I know for some of us, we want to avoid conflict, especially in our Western society. We trick ourselves into thinking that we can live comfortable lives, that we can control the amount of pain that we are confronted with. But the reality is, and especially as 2020 has shown, and especially as scripture attests, we are living in a world that has been devastated and ravaged by sin, by our own sin. Um, all around us, there is suffering, there is despair, and we shouldn't be so surprised by it. Um, and I think God uses conflicts and oppositions in our lives to awaken us and to remind us to place our trust in, in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. So uh, the title of the message is, uh, I made some changes. I, I, uh, this passage, I wasn't really sure what angle to take it at for our uptown congregation. So the title of the sermon is, We Need the Spirit Literally for Everything, not only to overcome our conflicts and adversity, but even in the ways that we want to serve and love one another in this community, outside of our community, and really every aspect of our lives. We are in utter need of the Holy Spirit. Um, let me read the passage for us. So this is immediately after last week where the Spirit is moving powerfully. Uh, there's great fear in the church because of Ananias and Sapphira. Miracles are happening. People are being saved. The Word of God is being proclaimed. The Gospel is being known. It, these are exciting times in the movement of God's church. However, there is a problem. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, rose against the Hebrews. Now, if you know anything about the early church, um, ethnicity, ethnic background, ethnic identity, they actually meant a lot. Uh, in our day and age, I know there's a lot of racial um, problems, uh, a lot of sensitivity towards ethnic issues, and rightfully so. But especially 2,000 years ago, wow, this was even much more acute. And one of the amazing things about the early church is it broke down these dividing walls. All the animosity, hostility, all the beef, the background, the history between one group and another. One of the amazing things about the church is Jesus broke down the hostility. As Paul talks about in Ephesians, where Jesus, through the gospel, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile. And now there is unity among the Hellenists, the Hebrew all different types of ethnic backgrounds. And we even see this in the book of Acts. Now, as much as people are just so inspired by this in theory, in practice, in actual lifestyle, it actually presented a lot of complications. 
it actually presented a lot of problems because in the early church, they took care of widows, which again was just so countercultural at the time. They took care of widows, but they realized in the early church, in this setting, some of the Hellenists who are Greek by birth, they recognized that their widows were not receiving the daily distribution that the Hebrew widows were receiving. And they felt like this was unjust. And again, with all of the racial or ethnic or all the bad blood, all the history, this would have been especially sensitive. Just like how these issues are sensitive today, it would have been equally so back in the early church. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, which were the apostles, the original apostles plus one, who were now the leaders of the early church, they summoned the full number of the disciples. So they gathered all the people of the church and they said, it is not right. I mean, we recognize that there's a problem, but it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So what they're basically saying is the leaders, the apostles are recognizing, okay, this is a serious problem. Just like we saw last week, where there is lies and deceit, and that can undermine the unity and the authenticity of the church movement, the apostles recognize, okay, especially with all the bad blood, all the history, and especially with things as sensitive to taking care of the widows, this unequal distribution, this injustice that everybody knows, it's a problem. This is a problem that we need to address. This could undermine the unity, the authenticity of our church, but the apostles, they recognize, but it's not right for us to give up the preaching of the word. We need to know where our roles and our responsibilities are and the apostles recognize we have been tasked to preach the word of God, to essentially preach the gospel because that is this, this is what people need. Again, everything is brand new at the moment. And as much as we recognize that we want to take care of the widows, we recognize that this is a very hairy, thorny problem, we cannot take care of this problem. We cannot address this problem. So therefore, their solution was, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So basically, they're delegating this because they recognize our priority needs to be straight. What we really need is the preaching of the gospel, but this is also a problem. So what we're going to do is, why don't you guys elect seven people who are capable who can address this problem because this problem is indeed very important. It is very sensitive. And what's interesting is the problem is to distribute the food provisions equally to all widows, whether they're Hebrew or whether they're Hellenist. So you might be thinking, okay, these people probably need to be very administratively um, thorough. They must be very organized. They must be good with math, with calculations. Maybe we should um, hire people who are sensitive to ethnic hostility, background, and history. But it's interesting because the things that they are looking for are not those things. It's not about administration or organization or any of these things or even people skills. What the apostles point out is they must be people of good repute. They must be people of good reputation. But what is repeated over and over again is they need to be full of the Spirit. Um, for some of us, we might think that's a little bit random. Because again, when we think about a social problem, you might want people who are experienced with social injustices. 
When we think about sensitivity and being able to communicate clearly, you may think that the apostles are looking people who are very politically correct and who are good with words. When we think about distributing food provisions, you may think that the apostles are looking for people who are good at math. I mean, just making sure that everything is distributed equally. But what's interesting, and what I'll explain the significance a little bit later on, is what's repeated is not any of those things, but is simply these people need to be full of the Spirit. And I think many of us, we have the tendency when we think about problems, we just look at it as a very human, almost secular way. We just need to identify what the problem is and let's just address and fix it. But in the early church, they recognize that everything that we do, even things that don't seem spiritual, we need to be full of the Spirit. We need the Spirit's wisdom. We need the Spirit's love, the Spirit's compassion. All these attributes are really from the Spirit. And therefore, the apostles are saying, yes, they need to be a good repute. They need to be these, but above all things, they need to be people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And just to reemphasize, the apostles knew their priority, the early church's priority, it was crystal clear, is the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word, and prayer. And I'm going to explain why those two things are crucial, even in our context, even though there may be some problems that we see in our own lives and even in our uptown community. We cannot let go of that priority. So what happens next? And what they said, please the whole gathering. So the entire church, the entire congregation, they said, you know what? I see a lot of wisdom in that. Yes, we need to prioritize the preaching of the word and prayer, but let's select other people. Let's delegate it and let's make sure that they are full of the spirit. Out of all the different attributes, I agree. They need to be full of the spirit. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and notice how it highlights again, full of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. So they finally selected their seven, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, because again, the priority was still the preaching of God's word, the gospel, and prayer. It continued to increase. The numbers of disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. And what we see in a nutshell is, like I mentioned earlier, conflicts and oppositions are inevitable. Not only personally, but even in the church community as well. What's important is not whether or not you confront conflict. But what's important is how do we respond to these conflicts and oppositions? And we see great example here where the early church kept their priorities straight. They emphasized the need for the Holy Spirit. And they were also sensitive that there are legitimate needs and opportunities to love and serve others. Um, so what does all of this have to do with Uptown and with us? Um, I think there's a lot of different ways that I can extract its meaning. Um, but... As I've been praying and as I've been just sensing how the Spirit is working in our uptown community, there are a few things that I feel like we should definitely take away from this passage that I think the Spirit is placing on our heart. So, um, you know, what we're going to do is we're just going to go over a few points. And these are points that I'm thinking specifically for uptown, for our community. 
And the first thing, as I mentioned earlier, is where the spirit moves, conflict follows. You know, when I moved from uh, Philadelphia to Toronto, maybe about five years ago, we were looking for a church. And we, were, we visited like a handful, like a dozen churches, a lot of churches. And some churches I was able to have more meaningful conversations about the church because I wanted to learn more about the church before I committed to one. And I don't know when was the last time you actually visited other churches in order to discern whether or not that's where God is calling you. Um, but for many of us, we might be thinking, is the preaching of the word solid? That's a great criterion. Uh, how is the praise and worship? Are people, are, are the song choices good? Um, is a praise leader, does he truly have a reverence for who God is? Is he gospel-centered? We may be thinking about the fellowship because small group is so important. How are the small group ministries? Are people involved in each other's lives? Are they speaking the gospel truth in their conversations, in the ways that they're sharing lives together. Um, those are all helpful things, but the thing that I was asking for every church, and it, it may, may have sounded weird at the time, is I would ask church leaders, when was the last time your church encountered a conflict, and how did the church respond? That was my go-to question. And some people looked at me and they thought, well, that's, that's a really weird question. That's not a typical question. But it's because I was thinking about the book of Acts. And when I think about the early church, and not just the book of Acts, but really just the people of God, when they are, one of the things that you see is, as much as God is moving, conflicts inevitably arise. And in fact, if you don't experience conflict in your life, uh, a good question is, is this, are you actually being led by the Spirit? Because conflicts and oppositions are par for the course, both personally and communally. Uh, if, you look, if you're at a church and you're thinking, oh, there's too much opposition, there's too much conflict. Or if you look at your life and think, oh, there's too much conflict, too much opposition, there's something wrong. I need to leave. I need to change. No, that's, that's not biblical. For God's people, spirit is moving undeniably. But undeniably, conflict and opposition ensue. And what's important is not whether or not you see conflict, because that's inevitable. What's important is how do we respond to that? When I think about our uptown congregation, I think a lot of us, we, have, we live and we operate under the misunderstanding, it's a dangerous one, that our lives should be comfortable. That our life should not have any conflicts, opposition, suffering, or pain. Um, maybe at a personal level or even a communal level. We think, you know what? I worked hard for this. I studied hard for this. I secured this job. Why are there still problems in my life? And especially in our Western culture where we have the illusion, where we think we can control our life, where we, we plan things for the next month, the next year, five years, 10 years down the road. In other parts of the world, they only think about the very next day. And in many ways, I think that's biblical, especially as it says in James. Why do we boast about tomorrow? Why do we think so much about tomorrow to our future? And why do we get so perturbed when there are conflicts, when there is opposition? And I think for many of us, by and large, we live a pretty comfortable life 
But the reason why we the reason why we are perturbed is the potential that there may be conflict. The potential, the hypothetical possibility that there may be opposition. And brothers and sisters, I think this is a dangerous, dangerous misunderstanding, dangerous assumption, because one of the reasons why this is so dangerous is because we truly take for granted the problem of sin. And we truly take for granted because of that, we don't really savor in the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me explain that a little bit more because it may sound like I just completely changed the topic of conversation. Is one of the reasons why we think our lives should be easy is because we underestimate the devastating consequences of sin that we introduce in this world. The, wor the way that God has created this world, it wasn't supposed to be marred by conflict and opposition. Work was supposed to be a glorious thing where we experienced much satisfaction and grat gratification of the ways that God has gifted us and how he's utilizing our talents. Family and relationships were supposed to be so blissful and it was supposed to be a constant reminder of how loving our relationship with God is. What happened? It was our own sin. It marred everything. Every aspect of our reality has been depraved and damaged because our relationship with God has been severed. And because we are sinful people, and because it's not just a tendency, but it's our enslavement to distort, suppress, and ignore and reject the way God is trying to be involved in our lives, the way that he's trying to remind us of his character. He's trying to lead us into repentance and to place our exclusive trust in him. We are constantly, in creative ways, shutting that out. It's no question why there is conflict and opposition in our lives, in our relationships, in our work, in the ways that we plan erroneously for our future, misguidingly thinking that we can secure our own plans. And not to mention the fallenness of this world because of our sin. But another factor is, like I mentioned, opposition arises because there is a spiritual opposition. As much as God wants to move towards advancing his kingdom, we know that Satan is like a prowling lion. And he is looking for his next prey to destroy, to sidetrack, to distract, to discourage so we have another layer of opposition. It's not just our sin. It's not just even the world itself being fallen, the society being broken and corrupt, but even an entity, Satan himself and his forces, are actively seeking to destroy God's people. This is the world that we live in. And I don't know how many of us were here maybe a month or so ago when I talked about the already not yet. Yes, I don't want to just uh, paint a doom and gloom picture. There is much glories and things for us to be thankful and excited about as we've been talking about over the course of the past weeks. But what the gospel is doing in our lives and in our upland community, those things are undeniable. But those things have already been given to us. Yes, that's true. But not yet have we been fully able to experience the entirety of the promises of the gospel. We live in this tension where already Jesus has accomplished everything, 
But not yet are we able to experience the realities of everything that Jesus has accomplished. And therefore, we live in this tension. And we shouldn't be so surprised or so overwhelmed, so easily discouraged and perturbed by the conflicts and oppositions that we face. And that's why the next thing that I really think this passage emphasizes, I think is important for our Uptown community, is the priority needs to be preaching and prayer. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are conflicts and oppositions, but as much as we want to address them, just like the apostles did, they were very responsible. They made sure that the priority is a preaching and prayer because of our tendency to forget the, the power, the need of the gospel. And like I mentioned, all of us, we operate as if we should live this life conflict-free. All of us, we live this life as if we shouldn't experience any opposition in our lives. That is a lie of society. And one of the things about the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word, is it reminds us of the true spiritual reality. We are living in a sin-fallen world. We are also affected by the presence of sin. And there is a spiritual opposition that is targeting God's church. The preaching of God's word, it reminds us of that. And it also reminds us not only of the suffering and the despair and why we must experience these hardships, but it also points us to a greater truth that we have a Savior who has overcome these things. We have a Savior who has stepped into all of this mess. Even as Terry reminded us, yes, God cannot tolerate sin, but our God, he sent his one and only son not only to this sin-fallen world, not only to rub shoulders with sinners like us, to eat with sinners like us, but he actually became sin himself, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, so that we can be his righteousness. This gospel is something that we cannot compromise, and it's something that the apostles did not either, because they recognized with problems, oppositions, it is so easy to get so fixated on those things and to be disoriented and to all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but gradually, you forget where our true hope and our true power lies. It's not a matter of helping the widows. It's important. That is important. It's not a matter, it is really the preaching of God's word, namely, we need to be reminded, we need to be preached, we need to receive the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just every Sunday. I mean, Sundays are important, but really we need that wait every waking hour because of our enslavement towards this, towards those lies that we think that we should live a problem-free life. We underestimate sin and therefore we underestimate the power and the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you may wonder, why is prayer also important? Uh, I understand, okay, I, I get the point. Maybe the preaching of God's word is important because people need to know the gospel. They need to be reminded of this. They need it seared into their hearts. It's not just an intellectual thing, but it needs to be preached. And especially in this time where everything is new and people might not have heard of Jesus, so they're hearing it for the very first time. So I see the ministry of God's word, the preaching of God's word is important. But what about prayer? Why is prayer so important? 
And the apostles, the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer as we've been seeing over the past few weeks because they realized that as much as they preach until they're blue in the face, and maybe some of them were very gifted, some of them may not have been so gifted, some of them may have been very good at biblical exposition, breaking down verses, some of them may not have been so good. The giftings and the talents varied. But regardless of how gifted certain people were, and we know that some people, like for instance, Apollo was a very great communicator. Paul was a very good exegete. As much as these things varied, they all recognized that the power of the preaching of God's word never lied in themselves. The power is really in the spirits. They could preach until they're blue in the face. Paul himself, we see in the book of Acts, he's proving people wrong. He is able to expose the the fallacies of his adversaries. He's able to do these things, and yet how do they respond? In disbelief. How do they respond? They try to kill the guy. And basically the point is, the early church recognized, as much as the preaching of the gospel is important, the only thing that can change people's hearts, the only thing that can make the gospel a reality in our lives and in our church community is the Holy Spirit. And when we think about that, yes, we want to preach well, but even more importantly, we need to pray. This is a spiritual thing. This is not an intellectual thing. This is not an argumentative thing. This is a spiritual thing. The reason why we fail to submit to the gospel of Jesus in our everyday situation ultimately is because of a spiritual problem, our sin. And therefore, all the more, we need to pray. And I've been very encouraged um, based on our prayer meetings and I want us to continue to do that because we need more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, As much as we are so thankful for what Jesus has done and as much as that will always be the priority of our church community. What Jesus has done, it doesn't translate into our lives unless the Spirit forges it into our hearts. That's why Paul in Ephesians, out of all the things that he could pray for, he doesn't pray for the vaccination of the COVID-19. He doesn't pray for world peace. He doesn't pray for a Christian emperor. He prays, above all things, I pray that people would be able to recognize the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ will become a reality in people's lives because Paul understood as much as he preached, as much as he was able to convince people on the whiteboard or whatever types of schemes that he used, at the end of the day, only the Spirit can transform our hearts. And I just want to encourage us, let's continue to pray. Let's continue to pray Monday evenings. Let's continue to pray in our personal lives. We, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Um, specifically when I think about priority of preaching and prayer uh, with our uptown community and especially in this lockdown way of worshiping we had an officers meeting yesterday about just really brainstorming how can we make worship more engaging so we are constantly thinking through these things but one way that I think can be helpful is and you'll see it in um, the updated small group questions for this sermon is uh, from now on the sermon questions are going to be a little different And the sermon questions are going to assume that we are all taking notes when we listen to the sermon. And the reason why I am encouraging us to take notes, especially in this lockdown way of worship, is A, it's biblical in terms of we should take God's word seriously. That's a top priority. 
But B, especially in this lockdown style of worship, it's really difficult to stay engaged. I understand. It's not, it's not nearly as intimate. But we can't make, the, we can't make excuses because, again, it's, it's really a heart problem. One way to alleviate that is let's take notes, all of us. Let's take notes during sermons. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. It could just be one sentence. Whatever the Spirit places on your heart, whatever you feel like may resonate or you may think that God is trying to convict you, challenge you, comfort, encourage you, whatever it may be, it could be chicken scratch notes. Just jot it down. Because I think it, just writing notes, I mean, we know this even from a classroom setting, just writing notes helps us to not only be more engaged, but also helps us to remember more. You know, there are countless examples where I've talked to people in our uptown community, and you recognize this yourself where you're so convicted by a particular message or whatever, and you're so convicted that, that you need to live this out the very next day, and something happens Sunday evening. A conflict arises. An opposition arises. And then the, very, the next thing you know, you say this to me, you completely forgot what God convicted you about. And then the Monday morning that you start, instead of living starting the week with hope and with confidence of the power of the gospel, you forget. That's a reality. And maybe one thing that can help us is let's just jot down these notes and let's reflect upon it throughout the week in our small groups. The questions are now going to be tailored around the idea that we are taking notes. And again, it doesn't have to be exhaustive. It could just be chicken scratch. It could just be one line, one sentence. But I think that could be a, that will be a tremendous help for us, especially as this passage is reminding us of how important God's word is. And I know many of us are already taking notes and already I reckon, I already see the benefits of that. So this is really good for us. And this is one practical way for us to make worship more engaging and to take God's word more seriously. Uh, the third thing that I see in this passage is there is the need to love and serve others. Um, the widows, I mean, they were being neglected. And it wasn't just any, it was the Hellenist widows. There are people who need love and support. I mean, in the situation of Acts chapter 6, it's unfair. It's unjust. And if nobody did anything about it, they would continue to be in lack and it would have been unfair for them. And who knows, that could have turned into resentment. Maybe for some of them, they that could have evolved and and made them think and question about the, the authenticity of the church. They're, this church is talking about the love of Jesus, how it breaks down all of these different things. But look at me. Just because I'm a Hellenist widow, I don't get the food distribution and all of the Hebrew widows do? I don't know. I think this, this movement is, is hypocritical, just like any, And who knows? Who knows where those seeds of doubt, seeds of injustice, how those things will blossom? And I don't think there's any problem like that in our uptown community where it's that wide scale. But there are people and individuals who are suffering. There are people who are in despair. There are people where the reality of the gospel is just not sinking in. They need, they need prayer. There are people who are now just so inundated by the way society works and they haven't really allowed the gospel to penetrate in their hearts they need to hear the truth 
They need to be reminded of Jesus. They need to be reminded of the gospel. And again, I know that the lockdown way of doing church presents some challenges. But again, the spirit is unstoppable. If you think a lockdown can prevent the movement of God's kingdom and his plan, you're foolish. That's folly. God is, God is in control. God is the one sovereign over the pandemic. And he is also the one who is using the pandemic in some mysterious way. Uh, some of us who are part of the praise and prayer night on Friday, we heard from our missionaries, I, I want to be sensitive, I don't want to say their names, and they were saying that it's because of the lockdown that certain areas of the world, the missions movement is being expedited. And he is just flabbergasted at the wisdom of God that he would orchestrate something like this in order to advance his kingdom in a way that humans would have never been able to plan or scheme. So there are opportunities. Yes, the lockdown presents challenges, but with our God, challenges are merely opportunities. And something that I mentioned last week that I think goes such a long way. I know maybe some of us were busy, so look at this as another opportunity. Like I mentioned last week, Think about one person. Ask the Holy Spirit, place, give me a name. What's that one person that I can be a blessing to? And simply reach out to this person. Send a text message, email, phone call, schedule a Zoom meeting, schedule a phone call, whatever, and just say, just say you know what? God has placed you on my heart. I just want to be a listening ear. How, how are you doing? And I just want to be able to pray for you. How can I pray for you specifically? And who knows, maybe that conversation would develop into something more meaningful. But at the very least, I think that would be a tremendous blessing. One of the, another thing that we are going to try to do um, that we'll announce next week that we talked about as our officers team is we're going to try to emphasize more of this intergenerational demographic that God has blessed us with at our, in our uptown community. So there are creative ways where we are going to pair people up uh, a family with somebody who is single. And we are going to arrange ways that we can drop off a care package with our assigned pair. Um, and this is, I know it, it sounds, might be, it sounds a little cheesy or it may not sound very significant, but in this lockdown mode where all of us are trapped inside and we haven't really had, for some of us, we don't have any human interaction with anybody other than behind a screen, just receiving a package from somebody. And just being able to say, you know, I don't know who you are. I don't know your background, but because of what Jesus has done, I can call you my brother. I can call you my sister. Here's a package. I hope it blesses, edifies you. Those little things can go a long way. So look out for announcements next week. And even in our life group, like I mentioned, that is fertile ground. Prime opportunities. You know, some, you're getting to know some of these brothers and sisters. And you know what they're going through. Some of us are in the, the, the crosshairs of, of medical school interviews and other stressful occasions. And some of us are looking for jobs. And all, we know what we're going through. We can just reach out and just say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Or hey, if you ever need somebody to talk to, invent. I would love to just sit down and talk. Or some of us are just really bored. Maybe one way that we can love and serve one another is, do you want to just... Go online and play a game together or watch a movie together. There are opportunities for us to love and serve one another. Uh, lastly, the thing that I'll close us with is we need the Spirit 
for everything. Um, you know, out of all the conflicts and oppositions that the early church experienced, I'm sure there were many more than this one with widows being neglected. This is the one that was highlighted, which was interesting. And out of all the problems, it sounds so non-spiritual, right? I mean, what's, what's the problem? We just need to distribute food fairly. But like I showed you in the text, repeatedly, what people were looking for are people who are full of the spirits. And essentially what this is screaming to us is the idea that no matter what we do, it could seem very unspiritual. We need the spirit. Every aspect of our church community, every aspect of our own personal lives, we need more of the Holy Spirit. It is only by the Spirit that we're able to love. It is only by the Spirit that we're able to be patient, that we're able to understand, to be compassionate, that we're able to be courageous and bold, that we're able to speak truth, that we're able to understand truth. Everything that is good can only happen through the power of the Spirit. We need the Spirit. And I want to take some time, um, you know, in our church, I'm just so thankful that we do have Stevens. We do have Phillips. We do have people who are stepping up. And I'm just so thankful because I know that this has been a challenging year. And one of the best ways for us to honor them is not simply to thank them, but like I mentioned, for us to pray for them. And specifically to pray that they will be full of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a moment to pray for um, some of the, the people who are serving our church. But before we do, I do want to give us a moment of personal reflection. Um, and again, maybe this could be a time for you to just jot down any notes, anything that the Spirit may be placing on your heart. How is the Spirit speaking to you through this passage right now? Um, is the Spirit rebuking you gently? Like, Why are you surprised by your conflict and opposition? Why are you underestimating the devastating effects of sin? Is the Spirit comforting you? Get your eyes on Jesus. Look to what He has accomplished for you and be reminded that His very Spirit is with you. Is the Spirit challenging us to pray more? Recognizing, yes, we see the gap between what Jesus has done and the way we respond. What closes that gap? We need more of the Spirit. We need to pray or is the Spirit placing an individual in your heart to love and serve? Um, so whatever the Spirit is speaking to us, uh, just jot it down, write a note, um, and interact. Let's pray. Let's take a moment. I'm just going to give us maybe a minute to respond, to hear. And if you want to text away any prayers, questions, or prayer requests, this is a very appropriate time to do that. Um, and after that, we'll pray for, uh, I'll lead us into one other prayer topic.